had the bright idea to have me follow Terrence Terman. <laughs> I was here last week and it was powerful. <coughs> Excuse me. It was, uh, it was very, very spirit driven and I appreciated it so much. Uh, but uh, notice Dave put me before him for next week instead of Terrence. But uh, I'm glad to be here and uh, on this Labor Day weekend. You know, anybody that knew me from Northside, when I was on the, uh, uh, the preaching team there, that I had a habit. I guess it was made, I don't know whether it was a good habit or a bad habit, but I would always dress up in something that would illustrate the sermon that I was going to give. Sometimes I was Jimi Hendrix, sometimes I was Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I thought, you know, for a minute there this week, I thought about doing something. I thought, well, this is Labor Day weekend. I think I'll come out in flip-flops and a tank top. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, man, that would be tonight. <laughs> tonight. <laughs> that would be it. You know, Dave would uh, finish out the series and uh, show me the door. But I had a lot... <laughs> I had a lot of uh, fun doing those things and uh, uh, just thought tonight, well, I'll just keep it kind of tame with uh, Tommy Cabana or whatever it is and have a little holiday shirt on. Labor Day is, uh, is a holiday that was started in the late 1800s during the industrial time when people would work 12 hours, <clears throat> 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And many of our child labor laws came out of that era where even children were made to work in, in that fashion. And so there was a holiday that was given to honor uh, these people that were working physically so hard. And uh, times have changed. You know, there are people still that labor physically, especially in other parts of the world. Uh, but, but maybe it's a little more complex in our culture where we become weary and tired, maybe emotionally, maybe uh, spiritually, also a combination of that with, with physical. And so Jesus gives us some encouraging words about labor in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. <clears throat> for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember once in my ministry that I really was just about burnout. It was about 25 years ago. I was preaching at a church in Indianapolis. And uh, I was at a church of about 250, just not quite big enough for the staff that would be able to shoulder all the responsibility. So I ended up having to do a lot of it. And I was doing the weddings, the funerals, three preparations a week, um, you know, many hospital visits, all those things. And I'll tell you, I was really wore out. And I remember spe specifically that there was this holiday coming up, a vacation for me. And uh, we were going to try to go to Denver, Colorado to a Christian convention and have a holiday, my wife and I. And uh, one of our sons is a pilot for Southwest. And so we were, at that time he wasn't at Southwest, but we were, we had the privilege of flying what's called space available. 
And so we went down to, you know, it's free, but uh, believe me, it's not a lot of fun sometimes, anybody that does that. We went down to the ticket agent there in Indianapolis, and they said, yeah, we can get you to Denver. We don't have any direct flight to Denver, but um, we'll get you to one of our hubs where you can fly there. Uh, Really, if you were in Pittsburgh, they said there's lots of seats available, but the flight that's going from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh is full, so we can't get you there. And yet we can get you to Philadelphia where the flight is almost full, but there's a few seats available, and maybe you can catch that flight to Denver. And so we got on the plane and headed towards uh, Philadelphia, stressed, wondering whether (laughs) I'm going to be able to get one of those seats. Uh, to Denver, and so it just kept going on. Um, I'll get back to that in just a minute. On that trip, on that flight, God gave me a passage of scripture I want to share with you right now. Psalm 131, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 131, verse 1 through 3. This is a song, a song of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. I needed to have my soul quieted. Now, what is a weaned child? A weaned child is being told by its mother, we're going to cut the resources off here, buddy. You're not going to get any more milk. Remember that Seinfeld episode where the soup Nazi (laughs) would get upset with anybody in line that was sort of misbehaving or not giving their order as they should, and the soup Nazi would say, no soup for you, no soup for you. A weaned child is being told, no milk for you, no milk for you. And and what's interesting about thinking about a weaned child or a child that had been nursing is that in that day, you know, you you might not wean a child till he was maybe three years old. Yeah, I heard some moans from... some women there. And uh, the child here, and David is speaking of himself, is accepting the no. Accepting the no to that which he wanted. Now David, you know, you might say, well, David was king of Israel. You know, he could sit quietly. He could be comfortable. But at the time he wrote this, he was not the king yet. He had been um, anointed as king as a 16-year-old boy in his father's presence, but the next 14 years were tough for David. In fact, I'm sure during those 14 years, he wondered whether it was really going to be a fact or not, whether he was ever going to be king. And, And so he has problems with his family, he has problems with King Saul who's trying to kill him. Even, even his own men turn on him at one point. And the precious verse that's in 2 Samuel says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. 
And this is how he's speaking here. I've been told no, and I've been told no, and I've been told no. And now he's saying at this point, I'm going to sit still, <coughs> and I'm going to accept that. You know, Roy Hobbs was a character in the movie The Natural. And uh, it's an interesting story because he starts out this fine athlete. In fact, he was asked, uh, you know, what are you going to be? He said, well, someday people are going to point to me and say, there's the greatest baseball player that ever lived. That's Roy Hobbs. But something unfortunate happened to Roy Hobbs in the movie. Even as great an athlete as he was, you know, there are things that, are hap that happen. And some crazy woman shot him with a gun and wounded him so badly that it set him back for many, many years. Until finally in the movie, it shows him as a rookie somewhere around 40 years old. And um, he's doing really well, even though he's at an advanced age. And he's sitting with one of his coaches, I think it was. And the coach said to him, you know, most people are retiring at your age. And here you are, you know, we don't even know anything about your background. Here you are starting out. And Roy Hobbs, the character Roy Hobbs in the movie said, life didn't turn out like I expected it to. Can anybody say that? Is there anybody here that had a lot of circumstances happen in your life and you never saw yourself as you are right now? Things didn't turn out like you expected them to. Sometimes we have these expectations about what life's going to be like and and uh, you know how we all, how we want it to turn out, and it doesn't always go from point A to point B, does it? And sometimes it's other people putting expectations on you. I remember, you know, James and John's mother came to Jesus, and she said, "I want one of my sons to sit here in the kingdom, and I want the other one to sit there." They're good boys, and, and they deserve it, and they should be promoted to the highest seats in the kingdom. So there might be people putting pressure on you to be something that, that God doesn't want you to be. I remember a funny little cartoon where this little boy's standing there with his arms folded, and he's looking up at his parents who's got his report card in front of him, and it doesn't look like it's too good. And he looks up at him and said, I'm not an underachiever. You're an overexpector. <laughs> Is anybody expecting a lot out of you? Maybe even yourself. Maybe you put pressure on yourself. You're one of those OCD people. You know, perfection. And you put pressure on yourself to reach some lofty goal. Nothing wrong with ambition. Nothing wrong with doing things well. Not saying that at all. But are we in the will of God? Are we sitting quietly when we should be sitting quietly? Resting in the Lord. But instead, putting pressure on ourselves. Remember Elijah, the great prophet in the Old Testament had brought a great revival about, but there was a failure that, and what he was expecting things to be as he faced Ahab and Jezebel. And so he falls into depression and then we find himself, we find him complaining to the Lord. He said, I'm no better than my father's. Who told him he had to be? What do we expect of ourselves sometimes beyond what we're able to bear, the burden we're not able to carry? 
look at the cultural demands that are on us. And, you know, they're the ones that make the rules. And we just find ourselves born and growing up and trying to, to follow those crazy rules. At the turn of the century, the last century, 1900, there was a survey taken. It's amazing how they do these surveys throughout history, but there was a survey taken about from people, tell us the necessities that you feel are necessary, the necessities, what are they in your life? And they named them, and there were about 16 necessities at around 1900. Took another survey, similar, the year 2000, asking people to list the number of necessities. You know, I can't live without this, I can't do without this. It went from 16 to 98. And so there's a lot that we're just born into and a lot that we feel like is expected of us when God didn't expect it of us. In 1973, the average square footage of the average home was 1,600 square feet. Now it is between 2,500 and 3,000 square feet. You better live up to it. You better go get it. Advertising is telling you to. It is relentless. You know, advertising is not showing you the opportunity to get the things that you need and where to buy them. Advertising is to create desire in you for something that you don't need. And then we go chasing after it. We think these products are going to make us, make us happy. You hear about the little boy that went to the CVS or Walgreens or whatever it was and let me put it delicately, he got some feminine products and he put them up on the conveyor belt and the cashier was looking at him and said, uh, you getting this for your mom? And the little boy said, no. Uh, okay, are you, are you getting it for your, for your sister maybe? No. Well, why are you buying it? He said, well, I saw on television that if I buy this, I can go swimming, horseback riding, <laughs> hiking. That's why he's buying it. Because <laughs> that's what the commercial said would happen. But you can't buy happiness. These products will not give us the happiness that we're looking for. In fact, all of them should come with a warning label. And the warning label should say all products are subject to the law of diminishing return. Because sooner or later, you're going to get tired of it. And sooner or later, it's not going to satisfy you anymore. But here we are, and these are the rules. And we're born into them. And we're being swept downstream. I need more products. I need these things to make me happy. By the way, there's a, a book in the Bible that was written about that by Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you don't care to be reading the Bible, then just read a biography of Elvis Presley or anybody else that fits the category of, I've got the money, I've got the time, it's all available, I'm gonna give it, all, I'm, I'm gonna give it a try. And it ends the same way, just like Solomon said. I've concluded, he says, that we are to, Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man.
<coughs> and then there's not just the products, not just the four-wheelers and, and the cars and the boats and the exotic vacations. The biggest one of all, and if you were going to buy any stock and you were interested in making money, you should have invested in this particular uh, desire that people have, and that is their appearance. Your face, your body, got to get that thing in shape, got to put things on it and run around a gym because this is, of course, how we're supposed to look. I mean, the culture's telling me that. By the way, I got a great diet plan. Get your paper and pad out. This is going to beat anything you've seen on TV. You eat, you eat a lot of garlic. You eat a lot of onion. You eat a lot of Limburger cheese. Now, it will not make you thinner, but you will look thin from a distance. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but aren't we being pushed around? Aren't we being bullied? Jesus says in Mark or in John 14, 27, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. You see, the world is saying, do this, have that, it's all gonna work out. But there's nothing eternal, there's nothing satisfying in the things that we're being sold. I read a book, uh, it's a very difficult book. In fact, it was a part of our DC study program, which is about a two-year program, and maybe some of you DCers are out there, and when I tell you this, uh, you're probably not going to say you like the book, but I, I, I know it's a, it's a tough book, it's uh, Larry Crabb's book, uh, Inside Out. And I had to read it three times to really pick up on what he was saying. He's a psychiatrist, you know, and they're not, it's not too easy. And um, so Larry Crabb, all this was such a great revelation to me to understand this. Um, he said there are three layers to our mood, our well-being, our purpose in life, our satisfaction. And these three things are on the screen. They are... There are concerns, he calls them concerns, crucial, critical, and casual. Now let me address crucial. Crucial is at the very core of who we are. It is our relationship with God. We are born for that. We're made for that. He, he, is, our, he is our purpose. His words should be just throughout our soul. And that is crucial. That's what he calls the crucial need. Now, for some reason, whether you've not accepted Christ, uh, and I don't want to get into Calvinism, but let's say you did accept him and said, I don't need him anymore. Whatever the reason, God is not in your life anymore. So we'll just take crucial out of the way, okay? And now we're left with two other layers to our life. There's the, uh, <clears throat> there's the casual layer. Now, the casual layer is like on the periphery. It's, uh, you know, our, our interests, you know, our friends, um, our golf score, 
You know, you golfers out there, when you shoot a bad round, you notice how moody you get. Wives of golfers, you ever notice how moody they get? So let's say things aren't going so good. That's your, your casual layer. And the sports teams that you like. I noticed Dave was up here with the Cardinals on. Did you see that? That put me in a bad mood right away. <laughs> but we, we, we attach ourselves. We attach ourselves to something that we feel is significant. And when they do good, then we feel great. And we're just sort of connected to them. You know, I'm always forgetting my password. Anybody else here forget your passwords? I got so many passwords. Yeah, amen. I got passwords. I write them down, then I forget where I wrote them down. And so it's really a problem. And then you got to go through the whole thing about getting a new password. And then they ask you those um, security questions to make sure you, who they think you are. And so, like, your mother's maiden name, nobody would know that. What street did you live on when you were growing up? And, and then I was trying to get my password the other day, and one of the security questions was, what is your favorite baseball team? And it's the Cincinnati Reds. Wait, wait, wait. They don't deserve that. In fact, yeah, that's right. And I'm mad at you Cardinals too, by the way. But uh, I had to answer that question and I thought about it. I said, no, 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 we're going to change that. I'm, I'm not a Reds fan anymore. I can't take it. <laughs> that's why I can tell you my security favorite baseball team is the Cincinnati Reds because it's not going to be anymore. See? So you can't steal whatever it is you want to steal. But when that happens, you know, and your friends betray you like David went through and, and you know, things aren't going well in your, in your casual life, let's just take it off the board too, okay? Casual's gone. Well, it's still there. <coughs> so casual's still there. Um, <laughs> all right, leave it there. <laughs> But it's not going to be satisfying, okay? <laughs> so then there's a, this other layer, critical. And now we're really getting into important stuff. This is our family. This is the well-being of our family members. This is our, this is our health. This is our job. This is our 401K. These are really, really important things in our life. We could even put politics in there because a lot of people, you know, that's pretty serious. And I'm going to tell you what, folks, I bet you, I don't know hardly any of you here, but I bet you some of you is watching way too much of it and it's got you in a bad mood because maybe things aren't going like they should and they very often don't. But if that goes away, if the, if the divorce comes or the death comes, and if the job is lost and the 401k is in the tank 
and the politics are going the wrong way, you've got nothing. See, take everything off. See, now there's critical. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got? You see, you got nothing. But now let's bring back the most important part, the crucial. If you have God, if you have the anchor to your soul, you can lose it all. And you can still have enough. You've got more than enough. And may, I, and may I say to you, when you look at that Psalm 131, here's this little child that's been told no. And he is sitting happily with the person that told him no. When God says, you can't have that. I've got something else for you. You're going to go in this direction. I'll take that tragedy like Terrence said last week, we'll just make that your story. And we'll use that story. But God is still there. God is who is crucial. God is the one who keeps us from reaching for the bottle or the bottle of pills or the gun. I feel so sad for anybody that doesn't have Christ as an anchor to their life. When these other things go away, the one who promised us to be a rest for our soul. Now I'm going to conclude with a little retell of a story that you know. In fact, I think you're, I'm going to have you participate in this, okay? Um, you know the song in, in, in church, if you grew up in church or some of you seasoned uh, Christians, know the story of Zacchaeus. And so, uh, you know, Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. He's a chief tax collector. He's a wealthy man. And, um, but you get a feeling when you read about him coming to see Jesus that he's like Solomon and Elvis and the rest of them. This ain't working out. This isn't satisfying. I'm empty. So here's this very wealthy man. But notice that he's come to a place in his life where he's somewhat humble because he climbs up into a sycamore fig tree. Now he's a wealthy man. He's a big man in Jericho. He's an important man. And he's climbing up a tree. Can you see the mayor of Jeffersonville climbing up a light pole to, so he can see the parade? So Zacchaeus sees, climbs up the tree. You know, okay, now, you know something about Zacchaeus, so I'm going to have you say it back to me, okay? We don't have to sing it, but we'll just say it, okay? <laughs> and I'm going to kind of give you the cue, okay? Zacchaeus was a? Oh, you're so good. That's good. I thought I was going to have to beg you to be loud about it. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Now, can somebody tell me how big we is, you know? <laughs> The Bible says he was short, you know, in stature. And uh, so Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up in a tree. And as the Savior passed that way, now be ready. Jesus said to him, okay, that's good. Okay. There's that one word. Say it good and loud. What? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, he knows me. 
He said my name. That's so important to all of us. He knows you. He knows your name. That means he knows everything about you. In fact, in the, in the, uh, in the song it says uh, that, in that he, he knows my name, he knows my, how's it go? He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. He knows my name. You know, what? when I was little, two years old, my father abandoned me. A lot of you people that know my story, I'm not gonna go through all that, but I just wanna mention the fact that when I was a little kid, my dad left. And I never saw him. I can't even remember what he looks like. At two years old, you can't really think about what somebody, you don't remember that. I don't remember any of it. But my father left my mother and three other, uh, three children, and we never saw him again. And, uh, you know, when you're poor, you're single like my mom, the government steps in, you know, puts you government housing project in Cincinnati. That's how I became a Cincinnati fan. Yeah. I needed some heroes. My heroes when I was a little kid was Frank Robinson, Ted Klazuski, a local from the area here, Gus Bell, the Bell family in Lowell, Wally Post, these are my heroes. And so there we were, you know, these neighborhoods are out over here where nobody's going to see these people. But he knows my name. He saw me when I was that little kid on 5053 Winesti Avenue in Cincinnati. Oh, I gave another way one of my security. <laughs> and you guys are going to rob me blind. But he saw that little kid, that person and family that was pushed off to the side. He knows my every thought. He hears me when I cry, even when I don't cry, even when it's just, just a thought. Let me go back to that flight that I opened up with where took off from Indianapolis, we're going to Philadelphia, we're gonna try to have this rest and I'm wore out and I'm just burnt out. And, you know, maybe there's a seat for me in Charlotte. And uh, maybe there won't be. We're flying in that direction. And, you know, we go over Pittsburgh. That's where that plane's at that's got all those seats. And I'm 30,000 feet in the air. We're going towards Philadelphia. And I got it from my seat and I went in the back toilet in the plane and while I'm back there I heard what nobody wants to hear on an airplane I mean it was a seriously loud noise like a fan blade or something flew off that engine I knew it was serious and you don't want to hear something crazy what came into my mind was plane crashes and I got to thinking about how the plane crashes I saw a video of, the tail section, which is where I was in the bathroom, was always intact. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I'll survive this thing, you know. 
And then I heard a banging on the door. And I thought, well, maybe that's Charlotte, you know. <laughs> There's room in here for one more, you know. <laughs> that's about it. And then the voice on the other side of the door said, sir, you're going to have to take your seat. We have to make an emergency landing. And so I came out and sat down, and, man, everybody's terrified on the plane. And, and then this person, the captain or pilot came over the microphone and said, we're going to have to make an emergency landing in Pittsburgh. Somehow, he hears our cry. He knows our name. He knows what we need. I'm not saying God did it. I'm not saying he caused that. But somehow, you know, when that plane landed, I stepped off. We went down to another gate, got on a plane, went to Denver, and it all turned out real nice. Zacchaeus, he knows our name. Zacchaeus, Help me out here. I'm almost done. Zacchaeus, you come down. That's right. Say it again. You come down. He wants me to be with him. He knows my name. He wants me to come down and be with him. And that's what God wants from all of us. He wants that fellowship. Why don't we want it? Why don't we, you know, the song service today was just wonderful. As they sang praises, as they sang praises about our wonderful Savior who gave everything for us. And he wants, the creator of the universe who died for us wants us to be with him. And what's the rest of us say? Zacchaeus, you come down. He needs me. He needs me. He wants me to, he wants to come to my house and serve him. He wants me to, to do things for him. And again, God wants us to do things for him, not because he has to have it, but because we enjoy it. We should enjoy it. We need it. He knows your name. He wants to be with you. He wants you to serve him. Enjoy the service that he has prepared for us. And you know what it all started? It all started when Zacchaeus thought, I'm going to go and check this Jesus person out. I don't know what brought you here tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight that came because somebody invited them and, you know, okay, you just kind of went along and, you know, Zacchaeus, he's there in Jericho. There's going to be an important person coming through. I'm going to go see him. And before it was over with, Zacchaeus made the most important decision of his life. He let go of the God that he was holding. The God that he was holding was his wealth. He, he has Jesus in his house, and through that fellowship, he says to Jesus, half of what I have I'm giving away to those that need it. You talk about letting go of your idol. You talk about letting go of the God that's enslaved you. Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm letting go of half of what I have. And anybody that has been uh, cheated by me, I'm going to restore unto him fourfold. 
The law only required that you repay twofold, but he's going over the top. He doesn't care about his wealth anymore. Unlike the rich young ruler who Jesus said, sell all that you have and come and follow me, what a what an invitation, and this guy thought about it and said no. Oh my, how do you say no to someone who has done so much for us? Jesus said today, salvation has come to your house because you've learned the greatest lesson of all, the crucial decision in your life. God is there, and even if I lose everything else, I'm never going to lose him. And it all started because he said, I'm going to go check him out. So if you're here tonight, you're just kind of checking him out. I hope it turns out like Zacchaeus. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for giving us rest in this crazy, greedy world full of desire that is just full of emptiness and unsatisfaction. And that you, you've named us your children. You know our name. Oh, just so many wonderful things are ours because of you. I just praise you, Lord. And I pray that tonight there's someone that's, you know, heard about you and say, yeah, I want that too. In Jesus' name, amen.